A number of years ago, Gerda and I had the uh, privilege of being able to tour the uh, salt mine, the Sifto salt mine in Godrich, Ontario, uh, right up on Lake Huron. And uh, what was uh, so neat, so we, we got our helmets and and they had, uh, they had lights in them. And we went down an elevator shaft to, I think it was 1,700 feet below the surface. And, uh, and then it's a veritable, uh, like, roads down there going every which way. And they've got these, these uh, vehicles that are traveling. And there'd be lights along there. And, and what, what so Im- impressed me was, you know, it was freaky to be way down under the water in these uh, in, in these mines, and um, as we were as we were coming up from this experience, um, the guy who was taking us said, uh, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn out the light." And so he turned out the light, and I, I've never had the sense of darkness that I had then. You know, darkness is the absence of light. There was no light, zero light. And uh, I could hold my hand like that and see nothing. And it was, it was really uh, kind of freaky. And, and I, I can't imagine a life without light. It takes me back to an experience I had when I was a teenager. And, and I don't know what the problem was, but I woke up and I had to go to the washroom. But I couldn't see and I, I couldn't seem to get out of my room. And I'm groping and feeling. And I guess my mother heard something and came and rescued me. As soon as she turned on the light, I know where I am. I know where I'm going. But it was just, it was just this terrible feeling of uh, I, I, I can't find my way. I don't know whether you've ever tried to search for something in the dark uh, maybe you just you think you know where it is and, and you're, you're feeling and 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 you, you, you can't find it. All of a sudden, somebody turns on the light and, and it's so evident. So I, I uh, people who have lost their sight, it's uh, it, it's a, a terrible thing to have to endure the same way. I know it, at at times I've I've closed my eyes and sat down at the piano and said, I'm going to be sightless. And I'll, I'll play as well as I can, but without sight. Uh, we just take for granted something uh, uh, about sight that we have and, and about light. Uh, we, we're reliant on the sun. We just know that it provides light at night through, through the moon. It, it provides light in the day. We can't live without it. That, that, that big gaseous ball of flames comprises 99.86% of the mass of our whole solar system is this one light. And we're told that you can place a million Earths into the sun. And we kind of take for granted uh, what the sun is. And as our planet is kept in that gravitational pull of the sun. We understand how maybe people in the past worshipped the sun. They, they knew that it was a source of life for them. And uh, it's interesting because Jesus is going to make a pronouncement about himself. And uh, he's going to tie into that. 
It was the time of the Feast of the, of the uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a festival that the Israelites, one of the three mandatory major festivals that all adult uh, Israelites were to go to Jerusalem for. It, it was a, a celebration uh, of what God had done with the people in the, uh, in the wilderness, how he'd provided for their needs and led them. And so what people were supposed to do is to cut down branches and that kind of thing and make a, like a lean-to or a place where you could go out and camp with your family and it would remind you of the time uh, when God provided for you in the wilderness. And um, it, it's interesting because Jesus is going to, uh, going to this place to Jerusalem uh, for the celebration. In fact, uh, you know that Jesus had brothers and sisters by Mary and Joseph, half-brothers and sisters, we'd say. And some of Jesus' uh, uh, brothers said to him, like, what are you doing hanging around here, Jesus? You need to go down. Anybody who wants to be a big deal needs to go where the action is. And Jerusalem is where the action is, and particularly a time where the... the uh, uh, population swells by tens of thousands of people as they uh, pilgrims come in t- uh, to worship, and uh, Jesus said, "You know, uh, you you guys go ahead." He understood it wasn't his time, and he knew that they didn't really believe in him. Uh, but they say they knew the, the miracles he's done, and so they say, "Hey, you you go do your thing if you want." But Jesus moves always in response. Uh, to the the schedule of God, and he would see, you watch. Here's something: if you read through the Gospel of John, watch, and the hour had not come, or the time was not. You know, Jesus is is operating on the basis of how God is leading him, and um, so we have uh, this this festival, uh, and uh, Jesus is going now. And he's going to make this outlandish pronouncement there. In fact, what was really interesting, this was probably one of the, it was a harvest festival too. So this is one of the really fun times when people got together and uh, there would be music and there would be feasting and dancing and singing. And this would go on sometimes on into the uh, morning hours. And in around the court of the women, there were three huge lights, oil lamps, and uh, or four, excuse me, and they gave an incredible amount of light, and it would seem to be in in this particular uh, setting that Jesus makes this pronouncement, this outlandish pronouncement, and here's what he said: when Jesus spoke to the people again, he said, "I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." He made this pronouncement. He made this statement. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we can jump over that quickly and, and not real, realize just how important and how incredible this statement that Jesus made is. Um, and so I want to take you through a few things of, of, of the significance of light. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, um, what is he talking about? Well, first he's talking about being the creator, the creator. He says in the beginning, this, this is the very first words of Holy Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, it, it, when you think about this, is, this is quite incredible. It, it's, it, it's quite interesting um, that the very first thing that was created, when God had this um, formless and empty globe of water and darkness, that's what the earth was. It was absolutely uninhabitable. It, it was dark. It was unhospitable. You couldn't live there. There, there was nothing about that. And God is going to begin this creative work. And on day one, what he does in, in taking this is, is God is going to shape it and form it and fill it. Um, and, and that will be the work of it. But on day one, he creates light. The first thing he creates is light over this inhospitable darkness, this, this watery globe. And, and um, as we dig deeper, when we go into John's gospel, and I will tell you, it's very interesting. If you want to study along by yourself, and I hope you do, when you read John chapter 1, the passage that was just read for us, John 1, 1 to 18, you find all of the major themes in that introductory 18 verses that will flow through the rest of the book. Uh, but in, in John chapter 1, here's what it says about Jesus. After saying that he was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, this is God, he says this, through him, through Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. He is the creator. He created light. He is the one who brought that all to pass. He is, he was, and will always be light. And that's tied into his creative work. It says in verse 9, the true life, the authentic life, Light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So sad. So sad. Here is Jesus. And he is the light. He is the creator as light. But not only that, he's the source of life. It's interesting as we read in verse 4 of John chapter 1. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light was life. Life was light. It, it, they, they, they were intertwined together in, in ways that are so closely related. Um, and not only does he say that here, but he says it in chapter 8 in our verse. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Life and light, light and life. Uh, they, they go back and forth. And Jesus, as the light, is the life giver. It's interesting. Um, if you have a dark, you want to grow something. You can't grow it in that, in that darkness. It, it won't grow. It needs that light and the warmth to be able to do that. So without light, uh, our planet would be without life as well. So Jesus as light is a life giver. But he is also, he's the source of inexhaustible knowledge and guidance. God, uh, Jesus understands all of everything 
Uh, his knowledge is unending. Uh, people who live in darkness, we, we talk about, oh, he's in the dark. They live in ignorance. Here's what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 119. He said, your lamp, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. It's that which will give guidance and truth and knowledge and discernment. And, uh, you know, over the years, there's been a, there's been a, uh, have, has been a lot of uh, issues of people who don't understand, don't know. Uh, they, li- they live in ignorance. Uh, they, they think they have the truth, but they don't have the truth. You know, one example that really touched me is there was a, a medical therapy that was used um, in, in the 1700s and 1800s, and even, even uh, before. But uh, it, it was that of bloodletting. So if you got sick, and, and you were really sick, they felt like the body has these four different kinds of fluids, and you need to be in balance. And so what you would do is you would, um, you would cut a major vein, and you would remove some of your blood, and hoping that would... Uh, would rectify the situation. It's interesting, the first president of the United States, um, George Washington, in December 14th of 1799, uh, had come back uh, from a trip in some inclement weather, um, got a, a bad cold, a sore throat, and he called for his physician and, and asked him to take some blood out. So they took some blood out, and, and then, in fact, he did it again and again. And he took out, in 16 hours, five to seven pints of blood, hoping that that would help him get better. In fact, most medical people who studied this feel like it, it contributed to or caused his death. But he thought he was doing something that would fix him. He thought he was doing something that would get him through, and in fact... It wasn't. It was something that would kill him. And see, so you can have a practice. You can believe something, but that belief may not be true. It may not be right. Uh, but Jesus is the source of this inexhaustible knowledge. It's interesting how that spreads out to different practices and things that we do. Uh, there, was a, there was a practice that was uh, done in India for years, even before the time of Christ, uh, but continued on. And it was called sati. And that, what that would be is if your husband died, you would go and burn on the, his funeral pyre and give your life because you were so devoted to him. Uh, when, the, uh, when the missionary uh, came and saw what was happening, uh, and, and William Carey particularly, in 1799, he witnessed his first... Uh, uh, sati and he was so disturbed by this that uh, because you could either voluntarily put yourself on that funeral pyre and 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 be consumed and burned with your husband or you could be forcibly put on and he was so disturbed about this uh, that he began to lobby against uh, this and uh, it, it went on to the point where in December 4th, 1929, um, mortified about this practice, he kept lobbying and lobbying and the government uh, for, uh, banned it at that time. To come into the light. 
See, we, we can be operating in darkness, not in light. But Jesus is the source of that life, the light. Uh, he's also uh, the source of hope and joy. Um, one of the things that the, the people, the, the religious leaders said, hey, read your scripture. The Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and in, in we have a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 1 to 3. And, and it says this. Um, in those northern provinces or territories of the Israelite people, um, would, they would incur the first wrath of the Assyrian Empire and its army ca- coming down uh, from up in Turkey, Asia Minor, coming down and just obliterating the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible time uh, for them. And uh, these tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, these northern tribes, uh, they would be the first to experience this distress and all of the terrible things that were happening. Uh, so n- there, was, there would be no more gloom for those who were in distress in those areas. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, and you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. He's saying saying there that in this distressful time, a light shone. A light brought hope. A light brought rejoicing to these people. What was it? It was the Messiah who would come and bring that into that darkness. He would bring light and hope and joy. And so the light had dawned and the people are rejoicing. Jesus is that light. Jesus is that hope. Jesus is that joy. Not only that, he's the source of salvation. It says in in uh, Psalm 27 and verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the long, strong, uh, stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Light and salvation uh, went together. The light of God was the salvation of God. And that's why Jesus could say in John chapter 12, He could say, He cried out, Whoever believes in me, and does not, uh, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. That's the Father. That's God the Father. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. When you look at me, you see what God is like. I mean, listen to this, these statements. And uh, he goes on to say, Come on now. Can you move that ahead for me, please? He's, he's talking uh, about, about who he is and the salvation he brings. And if you know me, you know the Father. And if you know the Father, you know me. Um, let, let me just go on. To believe in God is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God and the salvation that he brings. He says this, uh, I, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. 
He was bringing salvation to them. It's interesting, in the same chapter, Jesus said this, when, and, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What was he talking about? I'll be lifted up. He'll be exalted. In what way will he be exalted? He'll be lifted up and hung on a cross. And, and the act of that um, would draw people to himself. He would provide salvation for them. And uh, in John 12, 36, believe in the light while you have light so that you may become children of the light. Salvation is light. And, and he says that light is in me. He is also, not only that, he's the source of ineffable glory. Guys, can you move that ahead for me, please? He's the source of ineffable glory. Uh, Jesus, uh, in, in, in Hebrews 1 at, at 3, it says about Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things. The radiance of God's glory. There is something incredibly beautiful and wonderful and glorious and majestic about who Jesus is, and that is the light of his glory. We heard read for us in John 1.14 this morning uh, that uh, the Word became flesh and He made His dwelling among us. And, and uh, we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. Uh, and so, so here we are, full of truth, full of grace. In 2 Corinthians 6, Second uh, Corinthians four verse six, he says uh, he says this. H- have you got that, guys? Don't make me come up there. <laughs> uh. Are we on track? All right. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Where do we see the knowledge of God, the glory of God? Uh, We see it in the face. uh, We see it in the face face of Jesus. Uh, It's so incredible what he does for us in that way. So Jesus is declaring himself uh, to be to have the glory that the that the Father has. As a very interesting thing happened with Jesus and his uh, his followers. Do you remember the time that he took uh, Peter and James and John and took them up to a high mountain and he was transfigured before them. He he he, he just he began glowing. He it was like he was the the, the noonday sun. And they were, they were kind of flipped out about that. And you remember Peter always had something to say when he should have just be quiet and, 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 and listen. And, and they saw the glory of God in Jesus. Do you remember when Saul was on, his, on the road uh, to Damascus? He's going to take prisoners and try and put to death and imprison people who were Christians. And so as, he, as he's on his way, he has a meeting with Jesus. 
Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus and, and, and he was absolutely blinded and smitten by the light of the radiance of the, the presence of the risen Christ there. And he drops to the ground and, and he can't see anything. He's gone blind. This is the glory of Jesus. This is the glory of God. And... Um, uh, have you got First Corinthians, First Timothy six sixteen? Thank you. It says it says about Jesus, who is the only ruler, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Uh, speaking of God, uh, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, and to whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. He, the glory. And beauty of God is seen in Jesus. And the light of Christ is in him. And that light is the light of the world. Now, what are we saying all this for? Only to say this. Jesus is God. He's making a pronouncement that in essence is, do you know who I am? I'm the light of the world. And, and, and to make that declaration is to make himself God. And that's one of the reasons why the religious rulers were always after him. He said, he said, what are you going to, we, we want to kill you. Well, he said, why do you want to kill? Because you being a man, make yourself equal with God. They understood what he was doing. And so when Jesus does this, he is revealing himself to them in such a way that they would understand who he is. Do you remember what we said, what the, the whole purpose of the, of John's writing this book so that they would know who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah and that he's the Son of God. And by believing in him, they would have everlasting life. And so through these pronouncements, through these, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He's telling them, I am God. And here's what I bring. And here's how I come. And they have to respond to that revelation. And uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is challenged and I'm not going to take time to read uh, through all of this, but you can read through uh, the rest of this chapter. Um, they challenged Jesus. They said, well, who are you? You're just witness. You know, you're speaking about yourself. You're witness. You just bear witness to yourself. We don't believe you. In light of all they saw, all they heard, all they witnessed, uh, they, didn't, they didn't believe in him. And, uh, and it, they didn't respond to that revelation. And Jesus challenges them. And uh, contrary to all of the miracles and signs, they did not believe. And Jesus refutes that. His testimony is valid because he knows who he is. And he knows where he came from. And uh, he's the only one that can say that. He's the only one that can do that. But he says, uh, I don't stand alone. Because the Father also bears witness to me. He said, I've got it locked down. Uh, they say, where's your, where's your father? Uh, we don't know who your father is. They never believed. They couldn't understand. And largely, they rejected. The rejection of Jesus. Jesus, uh, in John 1 and verse 5, it says this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. it, it another word that, that is translated in some of the versions is uh, they, they didn't understand. 
He came, he was there, he was in their presence. They saw the miracles. They just they couldn't connect the dots. They, they didn't know who he was, and they rejected him. In, in John 1, uh, 9 to 11, it says this, the true light, the authentic light, the real light uh, that gives light to everyone. That's Jesus was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own people, but they did not receive him. Thank God that, that in spite of that, to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave them the authority to become children of God. In, in John three nineteen, here's what Jesus said. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they are and have done has been done in the sight of God. He, he, says, he says this, people don't like the light. You know why? Because it exposes them for who they are. Uh, you know, uh, you ever been in, in, in a place where you'd, you'd like to have kept things on the down low? You didn't want people to know something about you. And, and somebody brings it to light. Somebody gets it out there and you, f- you feel terrible. I, I didn't want people knowing that about me. A lot of us don't want to come to the light because, because the light is something that challenges us. It, it exposes us for who we are. It's interesting, I heard a uh, statement by uh, Tim Keller, and he said, you know, people don't realize how utterly sinful they are, how terribly sinful. They don't, they don't understand the magnitude of their sin, but they also don't understand uh, the incredible compassion and ability to forgive that God has for them. And so here is this difficult situation, and, and largely Jesus was rejected. Um, I remember a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to speak with a young man, and I was, had just a, a good time to share the, the good news of Jesus. And uh, we, we sat down in an unhurried way, talked and back and forth and shared. And, and it, you know, I kind of said to him, like, what do you think about this? And he says, well, I don't think much of it. And, and I, was, I was frustrated because I, I thought I was doing my very best to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus to him. And, and uh, he was just like, nah. Eh, you know, I mean, it's, that's all right for you. It's, it means nothing to me. And, and I, I felt so helpless, and I realized that his eyes have been blinded. He, he can't see. He, what, what I have been able to see by the grace of God, he can't see that, and, and he, he, he has no appreciation for that and was frustrating for me because I, I so much wanted him to come to know Jesus. Um, I'll tell you about another person by the name of Karen. And uh, uh, Karen ha- had come to our church and had the opportunity of, of, of greeting her, and she came with, uh, with a family member, and she was somehow touched. And she said, uh, I- I'd love to make an appointment with you and, and come in and-, and talk. And I said, well, absolutely. And, and she did. <clears throat> and... Uh, she thought herself a pretty good person, a reasonably good living person. She occasionally went to church, but she wasn't against that. And, 
But something happened, and God opened her eyes that she had a serious need with God, that, that she had sin in her life that was offensive to God and that it had separated her from God. And the incredible thing was, in that moment, God opened her eyes to her real situation. And, and she opened her heart to Jesus Christ. He was illuminated by Jesus. He, he, he gave her the sense of what the truth was. And I, I'll never remember, the, the week after she came out to church and she rushed up to me after the service and she said, you won't believe it, what it's like to read my Bible. She said, I read it a little bit, but it's never interested me. She said, the words jump off my fa- page, off the page and come to life for me and I'm understanding what it means. What is that? It's what God Jesus does when he brings through the Holy Spirit um, and, and illumines our hearts and minds. But listen, there's a fight going and, and um, uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 14, uh, uh, two, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, sorry, it says this, uh, that Satan himself self masquerades as an angel of light. Uh, Satan he he presents what to you uh, what he would say is this is this is truth this is life he did it in the garden with uh, with adam and eve he twisted the truth uh, he masqueraded as an angel of light and that's what he does and uh, and that's why in second corinthians the apostle paul would say if our gospel is veiled if, if somebody can't see it's veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age under the, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hey, you may be, you may be thinking about this whole Christianity thing and you may be kind of hung up there and maybe you just don't get it. That I, I pray that as week by week by week, we begin to share what Jesus said about himself and who he is, that he would open your eyes, that, that, the, that the, uh, the veil would be removed and you could see for what it is. I can't do that for you. I can share with you what God says, but only God through the Holy Spirit can take that away and allow you to see. Uh, and, and nothing other than a, re- a miraculous granting of sight will work. And uh, in chapter 9 of John, it's interesting. Jesus gives sight to a blind man, a guy who's never seen in his life. And, and that's a picture, not only of what Jesus does physically in, in, in healing someone, but spiritually he gives light to us. Well, <clears throat> there's a call to God's people to be light. Um, let me just uh, let me just say this. This is this is an incredible statement. If we can go to uh, Matthew five, please, verse fourteen. You here's what Jesus said. Okay, Jesus said about himself, "I am the light of the world." Jesus says that I'm making myself equal with God. Now, now this should blow you away. We we went through the Sermon on the Mount, but in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, in verses 14 to 16. You, followers of Christ, are the light of the world. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. What, what are you talking about? 
That's what Jesus took for himself. That's what Jesus took that was recognized that he was establishing himself as God. Here is the privilege, here's the responsibility that was given to us as believers. It's this. Jesus says of what he says of himself, you're the light of the world. You, 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 you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You don't have light to cover it. You have light to give, give sight to you. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Responsibility has been given to me and to you. If we have received the light of Christ, if we become followers of Jesus, then upon we are declared to be the light of the world also. Now, um, the moon has no light in and of itself, right? It's just like dust and rocks and all that kind of stuff. There's no light in that. Where the light is, is when it re- reflects the light of the sun, and, and I, I remember last night looking out uh, our, our back door and thinking, oh man, is it ever bright out here? And I saw what is at least a near full moon there. And, and I realized if that's what we're talking about. When, when the person of Jesus, when his love and his character reflect out of us as he changes and transforms us, other people will see Jesus in us. And that's the responsibility we have that we're called to. That Christ's light would shine in us. It's, it's an incredible thing. Do you, do you know what responsibility God has given to us? That we would live in, a, in such a way that people would see Christ in us. And that would give glory to God. That they would come to faith in Jesus. You know, at the end of the... At the end of the Bible, I just want to pick up one thing for you as we close. And it's this. Uh, God had promised a new heaven and a new earth. And um, in, in uh, uh, Revelation 21, verses 24 and following, he says this. He noticed this. In the new heaven and the new earth, that's where we're going to spend eternity. He noticed that there there was no temple because God was there present. They didn't need a temple for God to be in. God was there. But he goes on to say this. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it and on no day will the gates ever be shut for the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone that, uh, who, who does what's shameful or deceitful. He goes on into chapter 22, the very last chapter. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God would give them light. And they'll reign forever and ever. In the end, don't need the sun anymore. Because we have the sun. The son of God. We don't need, we don't need the moon or the stars or anything. Because God the Father is there. And the Lamb is there. And they provide everything we need. Uh, musicians, please, uh, please come.
Um, no more curse. No more night. You know, sometimes going through the night can be so difficult. You know, the, the psalmist would say that uh, the weeping, we may weep through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the joy that comes will be God in his presence. Jesus in his presence giving light to everything we are and have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, the light of the world. We thank you for his light that has shone into our hearts, has shown us that we are sinners, that we need to respond to his grace And the light that he shines in us shows us who Jesus is. And we believe in him through the Holy Spirit. And Father, you transform our lives, that our lives bear that light of Christ. And so I pray, Father, that you'd help us uh, to be Christ, to live as Christ does, and to shine that light wherever we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.